You're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast, and I am your host, Michael Feenan. I'm your other, other host, Aaron. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing relatively well this evening. We've got a lot of storms rolling through the area, and I am digging it because they're cold fronts, and the temperature has dropped by damn near 20 degrees, and that is just delightful. That is great. Uh, Folks, this... Is episode number 68. We're going to be talking about the state of page performance, web page performance, web page speed, and the things that factor into that and what you can do to make your sites faster and, and more elegant and more chewy and tastier and saltier. That's not how that works. Wait, what? Really, Wait, no. I think the internet's changed a lot since last week. No, it's just changed me, my friend. Just changed me. You can um, find out more about this tasty, gooey internet on uh, Twitter and Facebook.com slash DrunkenUX and Instagram.com slash Podcast. We'll post photos of this chewy and decadent chocolate-filled internet. And on uh, DrunkenUX.com slash Discord, if you want to come tell us your recipes for your favorite chocolate chip internet. I want cookies now. Uh, well, cookies don't go good with what I'm drinking this evening, so that's... What are you drinking? I'm uh, digging into the monkey shoulder that I uh, self-aged in, in my cask. It. Oh, that's right. So, yeah, so this this monkey shoulder, for those who don't know, it's a Speyside blend. Um, Balvenie, Kadenvi, and uh, another one that's escaping my brain. I always forget the third one. I always remember Balvenie, Kadenvi, and then I forget the third one. But Is it the one, the rocks... It is no, not at all. It's technically alcohol. It is uh, no. It's actually a good. It's a, a relatively good distillery, um, as all my brain remembers. Because um, Canenvi, <laughs> most of Canenvi's scotch is made for blending. But Balvenie, okay. you know Balvenie quite well. Um, um, yes. And the other one, like I say, it, it just escapes me off the top of my head. Um, okay. But it's a very normally a very smooth, uh, a, a little on the port sort of sherry sweet side but all right but mellowed right. enough that like you can tell it's there it's a rosy flavor like maybe some uh like dried orange like a a citrus flavor but uh, like aged a little bit um okay. Okay. like lost its tang so to speak with the aging i did on it i forget how long now i had it in total in that cask it was about three weeks i think three or four weeks it picked up because i'd aged bourbon in that cask beforehand and it brought this really sort of interesting, sweet, sharp corn flavor to it out of that bourbon. Okay. And so it, it layered this interesting sort of sweet note on top that's almost like a like a bark toffee kind of, like a crunchy sweet, something crunchy sweet on top of it. Uh, it, it really it came out kind of nice. That's um, really, that's really it's it's definitely something that like you have to play with, and I'm I'm gonna sure. start uh, what's called an infinity bottle, and that's gonna be a, the next sort of experiment I dive into, which is you have a bottle, you empty the bottle, uh-huh. and then when other bottles get near the end, like you only have maybe a glass left, you pour oh. it into the infinity bottle, and so it's a constantly changing blend. Then 
And so I think okay. I'm going to take some of this and use that to start the infinity bottle and see what happens. So that'll be another treat that I'll have on the show down the road. Nice. What say you, sir? What have you in thine glass of Hacktoberfest? <laughs> I am starting with a Tangerine tonic because it's summertime. And you're an adult. I'm a goddamn adult. Whoa. That's right. After this is done, because it's about two-thirds done, um, I'm going to switch over to some Cazadores Tequila Blanco. Oh, white tequila. I get it. Yes. That took me a second. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to say. Our, our local liquor store has like a bunch of different tequilas and mezcals and everything. And so I like to try out the different ones. Like, you know, there's always like that whole thing of like, oh, it costs more, therefore it's better. But I I found that not to be the case. Like, I've had a few different um, tequilas, both like uh, Blanco and Rosado, and they can, different price points, like they can still be good, whether it's cheap or expensive. So, Folks, if you are enjoying this show before we get it kicked off, be sure to run by our friends over at New Cloud. You can hit them up Newcloud. at nucloud.com slash UX. They do interactive maps, illustrations, and have a platform waiting for you to help do all of your interactive mapping needs. Uh, okay, Aaron, so this episode is being built around the idea of tying up several things that we have talked about across, I don't know, five episodes? Six episodes? More? So, weather sites, restaurants, car dealerships, libraries, and... No. Kind of. There's a fifth one. Amazon? <laughs> Facebook? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of, though, right? Because one of the things we complain about on all of those is how big some of those sites are and how slow they are or aren't. Okay. Page performance factors into right all of this stuff in and out and we have talked about and we will reference a couple different show or episodes uh during this if you want to go listen to them because uh, we've talked about some of these individual things in depth in other places uh, but i wanted to kind of bring all of these into one in case you want sort of that quick you know 45 minute catch-up kind of thing okay i'm going to start it with the god-awful phrase milliseconds matter <laughs> i now hate that phrase I hate it uh, because the reality is, while yes, I I understand the research and I know that Google has figured out that 70 milliseconds of delay causes X percent of drop off. I get all of that. The reality is you have a, a gray area of expectation. And we'll talk about that uh, here in a moment about like how long you have. It's around two seconds for what it's worth, but it, it's okay. not so much. Most people don't operate in a scale where milliseconds matter. That's really the thing, I guess. Like, Amazon, okay. milliseconds matter because milliseconds are millions of dollars to them in many cases. If they, yeah. if they move the yes. conversion needle by, you know, half a percent for a company that right. does billions of dollars in revenue. Oh, it's a significant amount of money. Yeah. It yeah. matters there. For most people, you it's a little more little fungible right you have a lot more right. room on that but it does still matter performance does absolutely matter um if you go to web.dev they've got an article called why speed matters and the, these are some again bigger hitters but just to illustrate it pinterest reduced perceived wait time by 40 percent, and this increased search engine traffic and signups by 15 percent 
Cook huh. reduced average page load time by 850 milliseconds, so almost a second, which increased conversions by 7%, decreased bounce rates by 7%, and increased pages per session by 10%. We'll talk about why that sure. happened in a second. They're, but they're dealing with traffic levels that are like easily in the hundreds of oh, thousands. Yes, of like I say, yeah, these are more. these are big yeah. examples. Certainly, that's like that thing when when they say somebody states like a percentage statistic, like you know, oh, like you're ninety nine point nine percent not likely to get this in the U.S., but like we have three hundred thirty million people, so like that's still a lot of it's people. Still a lot of people. <laughs> it's um, like a small city. <laughs> the BBC's was a little, a uh, little more like ratioed, so they they figured mm -hmm. out that. They lost an additional ten percent of users for every additional second their site took to load. Mm -hmm. So that is something you could abstract to whether you're a big site or a small site. That would matter. Ooh. I like the face that Aaron just made. I think he made his <laughs> uh, refill a little bit strong. This will be fun. I, I took a mouthful of lime right there. I think all the lime juice floated to the top. <laughs> oh God! So yeah, it's not even. It wasn't even a good face. <laughs> Caught me by surprise. Yeah, so you're right, though, that these things, you know, abstractly, for some people they matter, for some people they don't. The reality is we do know that page performance impacts users, whether you're a big site or a small site. It's just about figuring out where you can land to improve things. So this is our very first throwback of the night. This goes, I think, two episodes ago. I believe it was episode 66. We talked about... UX as a page rank component that Google is looking at. And most of what they were talking about in that case dealt with using speed components as a proxy for UX. So yeah, if a page loads lar quickly, largest contentful paint, that, yes. was what, that was the term they used. I had to go look it up. And there were, there was a couple others, right? Like um, time to first interaction. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then there was a third one mixed in there. Yeah. These things do matter. They do impact us and potentially will impact everybody as we move forward because it will impact SEO rankings and things like that. So when we talk about page performance, this is not one thing. In fact, it's lots and lots of different things. Okay. It, it falls into, you know, stuff you have control over, but also stuff you may have no control over. And it, it may be something that you just have to kind of find where you can move the needle best. So like, you may or may not have control over your hosting or your server, for instance. Um, a lot of folks, if you're using shared hosting, if you're on Bluehost or HostGator, mm -hmm. you don't have much control over that. You have what they give you, and, and that's that. You None of us have control over our users' networks. Right. So, you know, I've got gigabit fiber. I'm super fast. I love it. I go out to my dad's house in the middle of nowhere. I barely get 3G on my cell phone. <laughs> You get what you get. Uh, DSL, satellite, you know, a lot of this country, the uh, U.S. is a huge place. People forget how much of the rural areas don't have access to much more than DSL. And, you know, that's something, or just spotty. The the thing about cell phones, right, is let's say you have 5G. That's awesome, right? 5G is super yeah. fast. But it's really spotty. I, I don't think we have any 5G towers. That must be why we have no COVID-19 cases out here. We've got. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, you, you clipped out. It took me a second to actually hear the word in my brain that you were saying. I I followed. I'm that. totally joking. No, it's fine. 
but the you know just even if you have coverage in your area the going in and out of buildings or up and down floors getting in and out of your car like your connectivity is still very fragile so to speak mm-hmm. so user networks can really impact how quickly a site loads um the actual page weight so this is literally how much stuff is in your site that's something you probably have a lot of control over and it will impact how fast you run the multimedia you're using you know you have videos you have background sounds i hope not you're playing a midi file in the background yeah and don't do that <laughs> the user's location can matter for reasons related to the network but also latency so if mm-hmm. your server is in you know uh, the new york data center for digitalocean but your user is in you know i don't know mozambique you know, that data has to traverse half the globe to get to them. And even as fast as data moves through, you know, electrical wires or, or fiber lines, it still has to move through a lot of servers and a lot of switches and a lot of backbones to get to that other user. So location can add to latency. Mm-hmm. Users, one you don't have control over, users' browser plugins. As, as much as like Adblock and things like that are good and can speed up sites, if somebody has a lot of that stuff installed, uh, it can really slow down not just web pages, but your browser. Your browser yeah. itself is going slower as a consequence. Or if you accidentally have a some browser malware and or like doing Coinbase or something for someone else. Yeah. Yeah. The the other thing, and this is by no means an exhaustive list, it's just the common things, and we'll talk about this in more depth here in a second, is what we call blocking scripts. Mm-hmm. So things that may not be big, and your site may not be big, but there are things that have to happen before your page is allowed to continue to render. That's actually a good lead-in to what the two groups are. So I, I lump these into two areas. You have actual performance. Actual performance is the genuine, like, just straight-up measured, how big is your site, how fast does it go? Mm-hmm. Actual performance. Um, a good example, like Woot, uh, it, it loads relatively quickly. It's 2.34 seconds, yeah. um, but it comes in at the cost of 3.91 megabytes. God. The interesting thing about the performance <laughs> there is that Woot, which is owned by Amazon, Amazon is a smaller page, even though it's got more stuff on it, huh. but it loads slower. That's funny. So, it, you know, the actual performance of those pages competitively is impacted by a number of these things that we just talked about. So Woot has a high actual page weight, but a relatively good, you know, connection to its network, apparently. And Amazon does something that you're going to talk about, I think, which is, I think their problem is more on the server side than it is the page weight Yeah, we'll we'll get back to that in a short Yeah, and actually that piece of it goes to the second group, which is perceived performance. The Perceived performance is how fast a site feels to a user. And so I said Amazon falls into that group because I think their problem is they're doing a lot of stuff on the back end when the page loads. So you've got a lot of database calls, a lot of things like that happening before the page builds. And so Mm -hmm. while their site is lightweight, there's a lot of stuff happening that makes it feel slower to the user because it is slower. Um, it loads, I forget what the time was when I calculated it. I forgot to paste that one in. It was like four seconds or something. Okay. So, throwback. 
Remember the weather episode? What was that? Three, two, three, four, somewhere back there. Oh man, first season. I used to use weather.com's radar all the time. Mm-hmm. I relied on it because, again, in Kansas, we had a lot of Number storms. Seventeen. Oh, seven. It was that late. Okay, seventeen. Yeah. I gave up on weather.com. So mm-hmm. to give you an idea, the page is 1.46 megabytes. Okay. Doesn't sound like a lot. The finish was 1.46 minutes. What? And the page load was 21 and a half seconds. Oh, so okay. Wait, why? Yeah. Uh, well, let me ask you. Why do you think their page is so slow? Why would a weather radar page be slow? You said the total page size was like one and a half megs? Give or take, yeah. I, without seeing any of the analytics on it at all, I'd have to guess it just had a shit ton of requests. Like lots of, like you, you can never get around, like there's always going to be that baseline latency uh, of making a single round trip request to a server. You would be surprised. It was about 54 requests, um, which isn't bad. The Mm -hmm. average site has over 70, so the number was actually reasonable. The real problem was their map API and the tile server they were using took the latency that was built into that was incredible. It takes – and you you try it on your own sometime. Go to weather.com, look up your area – and especially mm-hmm. put the radar into motion and then wait. Right. And it, it takes a minute and a half, basically, for that thing to actually get everything spun up. It's incredible. Huh. Now, I use WonderMap. Now, okay. Aaron, let me ask you, why do you think I use WonderMap? Why, why do you use WonderMap, Michael? <laughs> uh, because it loads in 1.68 seconds. <laughs> wow, that's substantial. Its page weight is 46.3 kilobytes. That's significantly smaller. Yeah. Yeah. So weather.com lost me as a user because their yeah. page performance was garbage. Uh, so I'm a walking, talking example of somebody who looked at page <laughs> performance and said, nope, I can. there's another service that I can use that is much faster. Looking at your screenshot there, of uh, uh, Michael has shared with me a screenshot of his page load time. Um, it, on the first one for weather.com, it says load 21 and a half seconds, but then the finish was 1.46 minutes. So, you know, 90 seconds to finish, but 21.5 just to load it. That's significant still. Oh, it's insane. Yeah. And the difference for folks that don't understand, load is when the window on load function fires. So that's mm-hmm. after DOM content loaded. DOM content loaded means the DOM of the page has been read into memory for the browser now, so it can start mm-hmm. manipulating the DOM. Um, once it's done doing that, it then fires the load function. The finish is when all of the other stuff has now gotten complete, because you tend to have a lot of things that then happen after on load, like loading the tile server, for instance, or loading the tile set from the tile server, rather. So right. it's, yeah, it's just why, and I can, I could get into the technical reasons as to why it's so much faster, but it just, it's a good example of how performance impacts stuff. Yeah. Over the last four years, and I, I did a, some research on this in higher ed a, a decade ago at this point, 
Um, but just over the last four years, page weight itself is out of control. And it was bad mm. 10 years ago, and it's getting worse still. There's a site, if you, if you haven't seen it before, it's called HTTP Archive. Yeah. And basically all they do is run Lighthouse on millions and millions of web pages and catalog all the results to a giant uh, database. Okay. Um, it's actually their entire data set is available on Google BigQuery. And so you can go and like run your own reports if you know how to use BigQuery. So okay. their latest report shows since 2014, so six years, desktop weight is up 35%. Mobile weight is up 45%, both hovering right about two megabytes per page. Damn. Is this like the, the page weight, the, if it's the past few years, the one thing I can think of that has been different in the past few years is we have a lot more spas with a lot more front end frameworks. So is it because of that? I mean, I think it's for a lot of reasons and, uh, you know, the research on HTTP archive doesn't get into it. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, if you told me, yeah, everybody's layering, you know, foundation and jQuery or bootstrap or, mm -hmm. you know, tons of NPM stuff or, or what have you like, those things, because the thing is, like, if you, let's say you use foundation, I use foundation. Sure. The amount of code I load for foundation versus how much of foundation I use. Yeah. Is probably frightening, dis frighteningly disproportionate. Sure. Uh, I'm probably loading 10 times the amount of code I need for what I use. And I think, you know jQuery is another one of those, right? We've got all these, uh, you know, the, the monolith scripts, right? That you can load. You know, how many people go grab just jQuery.min.js from a CDN and they just throw it on their site? Yeah, well, you have, like, the... Remember, remember jQuery UI, how they had, like, the site you could go to and you'd check off the boxes of the which modules you wanted and then it would package one up for you with just those bits? And you can do that, like Foundation lets you do that for yeah. NPM. If you're if you're building something and you install Foundation through NPM, you can go in and be like, oh, I'm just going to use these parts of the packages. But right. I think a lot of people still use probably too much of that out of fear and out of dependencies. Yeah. Like, you get the idea, though, that there's still a lot of cruft that ends up in these. Certainly. And I think the other side of this is imagery cameras phones have gotten better and so as we use more and more imagery on websites the images have continued to balloon in size do you, so it's kind of like how with moore's law computing has gotten worse yeah like when we had you know um you know the 286 and earlier um you had you had to be a lot more careful about how you program something because you had so little memory to work with but now we have literally gigabytes of memory on a just right. an average system efficiency so like, oh it's yeah. about efficiency, right? And that's gone out the window. Uh, yeah. So, and here's the good example of this, right? So the first Contentful Paint is down across the board. Okay. Um, it's improved by nearly 20%. It's, that's roughly 0.2 seconds above what like Crazy Egg considers optimal. That's that two-second mark. Okay. 47% of consumers expect websites to load in two seconds or less, and 40% will abandon a page if it takes three or more seconds. This gets into that grayer scale now that we're not talking about milliseconds we're talking about seconds but here's the thing how is it you know what what's going on do you think that pages are 35 percent bigger but 20 percent faster probably more use of a cdn cdns or maybe like just more more streamlining like fewer requests fewer requests you can get you can get a really like every everyone who has broadband internet in the US like you know all of our 
if you have cable broadband at least, they give you really high speed burst, but then it attenuates down to a slower speed for sustained transmissions. So if they like, if the request front loads everything into the original request, like you're going to get a lot coming down the, the fat pipe initially. I think it just comes down to the efficiency thing. I think we've got faster computers and better engines in the browser. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're just, yeah, the, sure. the engines are more efficient. The computers themselves are faster and more efficient. And so as a consequence, it is hiding the, the problem yeah. of page weight. It's basically okay. making people feel like they don't have to care. That's my opinion on it. No, I, I could totally see that. I mean, remember when V8 came out, when mm-hmm. uh, Chromium released the V8 JavaScript engine, and it increased JavaScript performance by like 120% or something insane like that? Like, because <laughs> it was, it, it, they discovered that in the browser engine, they could compile JavaScript and run it as a compiled runtime right. uh, on the fly, and that made it faster than running it as an interpreted language just on demand. Like, it's that kind of stuff <laughs> that the people making the browsers have just figured out how to write better stuff to make up for our laziness. <laughs> right, right. And don't you, we also can't take some of what HTTP Archive and, and all of that and Crazy Egg and their research uh, offhand because different uh, research gives you different results. There's mm-hmm. some research from Google. They found, they looked at 900,000 mobile pages and found that um, 70% of the pages took nearly seven seconds to load for visual content above the fold. And... That's the best one was classifieds and local sites at 7.9 seconds. The worst was technology websites at 11.3 seconds. So huh. who you look <laughs> at and funny. what you, what they're looking at, like HTTP archive, I don't know what their cross section, so to speak is of, of their right. pages in, in the grand scale. They're, they're looking at like 6 million pages these days. That's not very many pages, guys. 6 million pages is not a lot at all. <laughs> <laughs> Just be aware of that. I want to talk about what we do about all this now. So these are the things like that. I mean, hopefully I've convinced you that page load is a prop. Page weight is something to to be concerned about. I know I haven't made the best, most compelling case, but the reality is smaller pages load quicker. Remember in in that same episode two weeks ago or or two episodes ago, we talked about uh, the fastest loading Google fonts. Mm -hmm. Yes. And the the fellow that had gone through and and broken down which fonts were faster, how to make them load quicker, and got mm-hmm. into a lot of the stuff about like first contentful paint, how to prevent you know your font from loading blank before it shows up or load you know getting that flash of unstyled text. The thing is, a flash of unstyled text gets you to first contentful paint quicker than hiding it until the web font has loaded because now the user can't remember perceived performance. Right. If there's no text there because your web font is still downloading, the user perceives the page as not ready. So these are the things like that that you can do that will make your page feel faster to the user, even if it does take longer to load. My first and, and most important piece of advice is to focus on writing content and not markup. I mean, that one's easy because content's important. And the... It's literally the the reason people are looking at your page. Yeah. And the reality is when you get in the markup, you know, simpler is better. And the real problem that you run into over time is you start to learn, like, 
if you go look at a WordPress website that uses like one of those page builder plugins mm -hmm. and have you ever looked at like how much markup they output when you try to build like a two column page with a couple inserts oh, yeah. and yeah, you end up with, you know, what we call div soup, you know? Yeah. That's just kind of a, it's a natural consequence of trying to make like one size fits all. You're always going to lose a lot on efficiency because of that. And you know, what's ironic about it is we used to have that same problem with tables years and years ago. Remember nesting tables and how mm -hmm. god awful that markup would get when you were trying to do a table-based layout. Yes. We've just reinvented that with divs now. And <laughs> I honestly I feel like it's just as bad if not worse because looking at 20 nested divs is even less context than a table which at least you can distinguish between rows and cells. Right. So <laughs> when you start caring about your markup you can consolidate it. You can shrink it. Remember, simpler markup is more semantic. It's easier to make accessible. It's easier for the browser to parse. It's, you get to DOM content loaded quicker as a consequence. Get to that first contentful paint much faster. Yeah. Um, images. Uh, what episode was it that we talked about images? That was last um, season? 45? So yeah, last 45. season. Yeah. Yeah, so 45 was season two then. Mm-hmm. We talked about different image formats and how to optimize them. Like image optimization, I, I was just saying, too many people will take a picture on their phone and they'll use that on their website. Or they'll go, <laughs> have you ever used Unsplash? Have you ever seen that? No, what is that? Unsplash is a photo archive you can go to and all of their photos are free. Okay. Uh, it's, it's open licensed public domain photography and it's super high quality, um, but they're also huge. Like you can get full resolution photos thousands of pixels wide and i've seen people take those photos and just drop them on a website huh so here that, that two megabyte you know a web page <laughs> being two megabytes well here's a six megabyte photo that just blew that entire uh, that entire <laughs> thing go back listen to episode 45 learn about the different formats how they weigh out against each other and things one thing you can do so we had a page at work very recently that has uh, examples of client work. And mm -hmm. so it's it's kind of like a gallery. And we've got lots of them. And so every one of these had an image behind them. And we discovered in looking that at that page, uh, somebody came to us and said, this page is loading just really slowly. And we looked at it and it's like, yeah, it, it was loading 13, 14, 15 seconds in some cases. Um, and all of that was basically images. I forget the exact size of the page as a consequence. It was several, several megabytes. <laughs> and what we did was I used a tool uh, by Andre Veralici. Okay. I, I apologize to him. He's Italian, and I may be pronouncing and that terribly wrong. <laughs> but he has a uh, vanilla lazy load uh, plugin. Like it's literally okay. called vanilla lazy load. It's just a vanilla JS uh, plugin. You can use it through oh, I think NPM. I used that before. It's yeah, yeah, it's super elegant. It's super tiny, which is important for tonight's theme. And it right. lets you it makes it really easy to lazy load images. What lazy loading is, is it's saying wait until something is visible before I try to load it. So in our case, we had like maybe six images you could see above the fold. And then okay. there were like twenty images below it. Well, those twenty images if somebody that never scrolls the page, there's no reason to load those images. 
and it, it uses something called the Intersection Observer API. In, wait, in, Intersection Observer API? Yeah, the Intersection Observer API. All it does okay. is identify an element, and it lets you say, is this thing in the viewport yet? Okay, okay. Remember how we used to do that, where we would, like, calculate the page height and, like, the offset of elements against that and subtract them to figure out if it's if the God. x or the y coordinate is within range at that point v- vaguely that this is like almost 20 years ago so that's the bit. old way of doing it <laughs> which was like okay if you've got a page that's 5000 pixels tall your viewport is right. 1000 pixels tall and the div you want starts at 2500 then you basically oh. Constantly check the scroll position to see if you're between like fifteen hundred and thirty five hundred. In which case, you're like, yes, it's in the it's in the viewport. I probably used, uh, I probably used some scripts that did that, but I never wrote any. We I've written that by hand, and it's a pain in the yeah. ass. Um, they, when they, when kids say, when will I ever use math? I mean, as an adult, as <laughs> when. Um, but the intersection observer API takes all that out, and it just. It's literally a browser API that you can access through JavaScript that just lets you ask the browser, is this thing visible yet? Right. And the lazy load plugin uses that to then make the requests for the images on demand. Makes it way faster. I combined that with uh, image optimization. Our images were getting loaded uncompressed, okay. which was another part of the problem. Um, <laughs> I I decreased the uh, the page weight by 70% and got it from like 15 seconds down to like three seconds loading time. Nice. Just making those two little changes. And it was very little work to do either of those, but it made a huge difference because images are uncompressed images are massive. Big images are massive. Different image formats can be huge. Uncompressed JPEGs or like full quality JPEGs can be enormous as opposed to like a 70% quality JPEG, which most people can't tell the difference between. No. We talked in episode 45 about WebP. I, before you get to that, I would say if you're going to drop in a large size image, um, look into the source set property for images and provide multiple scaled versions. Like there's nothing to say you can't include the largest possible res for something, but if you're going to do that, like if you're going to use original size for an image, you should definitely include like lower res versions in a source set. Yeah, so that's a good point because just like uh, talking about with lazy loading, loading only the things you need, and and thinking about how I used to write, you know, intersection type stuff. You remember mm-hmm. we used to, the crazy code you would write for responsive imagery. Oh yeah, and so now you can use yeah. uh, what's called the picture element with a source set in it that lets you define images with media queries. And attach mm-hmm. a media query to it and say, if if the screen is, you know, 800 pixels, use this image. If it's only 400 pixels, if it's a mobile device, only use, you know, use the small image. And it won't even download the bigger image as a consequence. So that's been a huge improvement, too. So resp- I didn't think to talk about that, but responsive imagery um, and using the new picture and source set uh, elements are is a huge step in that direction. Mm-hmm. So the new kit on the block is WebP. WebP is the image format that Google came up with and was pushing, and for a long time it was uh, WebP mm-hmm. was very fetch. They were trying to make it happen. Yeah, Twitter, Twitter used that one, right? Um, 
I don't recall. I I'm pr I'm pretty sure that Twitter uses um WebP for like the images on the site. They, they may if it's if they detect you support uh supported on the browser level. Yeah. The thing was it wasn't well supported. Edge didn't support it. Safari didn't support it. Firefox did starting in version 65. Chrome obviously did. But mm -hmm. the world has changed. Edge <laughs> now uses the WebKit engine. So Edge huh. supports everything Chrome supports. Firefox okay. supports it, and now in Safari 14, they're going to support WebP. And time. WebP is generally believed to be pretty much superior across the board from a compression standpoint. Mm -hmm. And it's it gets into an, and I'm not going to go into the detail because you can go listen to episode 45. But you know, image compression, image bit depth. You know, you can do pings are a great file format at 8 bit. But if yeah. you go to a full like 32 bit PNG with trans an alpha layer transparency, that image is not going to be smaller than a JPEG. I promise you. Like, right? It, or using uh, another. This is just offhand. Using SVGs for stuff where you can. Um, I suck at yeah. vector graphics. I'm just I can't make. There's them, a lot of conversion things though. Just generally speaking, though, an SVG is going to be microscopic compared to a oh, lot of yeah. images in most Easily. cases. Um, the next thing you can do is minify stuff. What is minifying? It's just making everything small. Like compression, right? <laughs> well, compression is not the same as minification. Minification well, just I means mean... taking out the white space, taking out the comments. I mean, it's it's uh, lower C compression. I mean, kind of like you're you're technically compressing it because you're you're taking one thing and you're making it take up less space. But it's not like gzip compression. The difference is compression can always be reversed. You can't reverse minification. Once okay. you've taken out the comments okay, and yeah. the spacing, you can't you put them back in because you don't know what they were. Now, obviously, sure. if you have a build script doing it, that's not a problem. But that's because you keep the source. Right. But it's about two things. A, you make the file smaller. You know, I try to comment my code very heavily. And so there are times where I have as much commenting in my JavaScript as actual JavaScript. So right. I can reduce the size of that file by half or more by the time all the white space is taken out. A lot of minifiers, especially in uh, JavaScript, will also what's there's a name for it um, when it uh, renames everything. Like it takes my variable oh, name one obfuscate and, uh, obfuscation. Yeah, it kind of. It, there's I don't think that's or the ug word. Ugly, uglif, uglifier. Uglifier, yeah, uglifier. Yeah. So my long variable name one gets turned into X, <laughs> mm. and so it it shortens your code that way too. So it's about. A, it's about making that file smaller, but it's also about reducing the number of HTTP requests. Mm -hmm. Because what you can do is you can minify several files together, which basically yeah. just takes them and concatenates them. So you have 10 CSS files that become one CSS file. That that was uh, in uh, Rails 3.1. That was a huge thing. They went from, I think we were using Sprockets in 3.0 for asset management, and then they changed it to the asset pipeline, which did that. It used... Uh, it wasn't Webpacker. It was a different thing, but it would it would take all of the CSS and glom it into one like yeah. minified and um like not compressed lower C compressed single file, and then the same thing with all the JavaScript. So just be like one long string. Yeah, and there, yeah, and like Gulp, you can get Gulp plugins mm -hmm. that do it if you use a build yes. process. If you use WordPress, there are plugins that will take every script that's enqueued on your site. 
and mm-hmm. will run them through a, a compressor. And I think like W3 Total Cache and stuff all have that built in. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and to go to the big C compression, um, and this is one of those things that you, not everybody's going to be comfortable with because if you're not a server person, you may not have access to it. Um, or if you set up your own site and rolled your own, it may not be something that you are familiar with. Um, but making sure something like gzip is enabled on your server. If mm-hmm. it's shared hosting, sometimes it's just an option to click. Um, if you go into like your server settings, uh, if you run your own server, you're going to have to go configure Apache or Nginx or something for it. Um, usually, I think it's on by default, though. But It's pretty common. Like, like If yeah. you don't have it enabled already, it's it should not be too difficult right. to enable it. Um, according to Yahoo, this can reduce download time by around 70%. Jeez. So, yeah, that makes I could see that because it's all text. Yeah, text yeah. is highly compressible. Text yeah. can be compressed down wildly in terms of like it's it's usually in the area of like six to eight to one. Yeah, yeah, I can see that six through eight to one, give or take, uh, uh, depending on what it is. Uh, so the next two things are the big things. First off. If I use the phrase non-blocking CSS and JavaScript, does that ring a yes. bell for you, Aaron? Yes. Okay. So blocking CSS. By default, CSS is a blocking action. When you put CSS in your header, when the browser gets to that as it is rendering the DOM, it says, hold on, got something <laughs> else to go do real fast. It pauses right everything else, and it goes and <laughs> downloads your CSS, then it comes back and it hits the play button. Uh, yes. It does that with CSS. It does that with JavaScript. So if you have a lot of CSS and a lot of JavaScript in your header, then that can dramatically reduce uh, the performance of your page because your site has to wait on those actions to finish. Mm-hmm. This is why several years back it became very in vogue to put all of your JavaScript right above the closing body tag. I remember that. Yeah. The whole idea was let the browser get through your DOM first and then stop. Eight to 10 years, about 10 years ago, I think, is when I started doing that. Yeah, give or take. Um, Mm -hmm. I know it really got popular because of analytics. And Google for a long time was saying put your analytics code at the very bottom of Mm -hmm. the page because we don't want it blocking anything. Um, The reason you don't have to do that anymore is because of the way it's included, for one. That's why, like, if you look at the analytics include tag, it's a. It's an, a, a line of inline JavaScript that loads an asynchronous script tag. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? When you are loading something asynchronously or using the defer command, um, not quite the same. Defer right. says, do this at the end. Asynchronously means do this, but keep doing everything else. Right, right. With CSS, there is no async and there is no defer. But we do now have uh, the rel tag or rel attribute, which normally uh-huh. say you know rel is style sheet. You can say rel is preload, and you need to load a little bit of JavaScript to help that because after the preload, you need it to then tell the browser that that's a style sheet. So it has to right. check it once it's loaded. Then it, you you do an onload event basically on it is what it needs. But so I, I started out by saying there's an article at the Filament Group. I'll have a link in the show notes that gives you a quick tutorial on how to do that. It's very simple. It's just something a lot of people aren't familiar with. Another thing you can do with CSS is make sure you declare what media types it's for. If you, for instance, use a print style sheet, but you don't declare it as print in the link, if it's like in a media query inside the file, then your browser will stop 
and download that style sheet even though that user is not printing anything yet. So if you declare it as print, it won't download it until something happens with media print or, you know, all there's, there's a ton of, of media queries you can do now in that, uh, in that vein. So right. Using that to your advantage, you can control what CSS is or is not downloaded, but you have to actually say it for it to work. I always do. Yeah. I always do media screen. I, I never really considered that there might be a reason. If you only have one style sheet, it doesn't matter. But yeah. if you have multiple, it does matter, especially if you have multiple for multiple media elements. Right. Uh, media all is the default one if people want right. to use that. There's, I'm not going to call it a growing trend because I don't know if it's a growing trend, <laughs> but um, this idea of inlining your CSS, at least the CSS that applies to everything above the fold. Yeah. Now, AMP makes you do this. If you do AMP pages, accelerated mobile pages, you have to yeah. inline all of your CSS regardless. The idea is you, by inlining it, like putting it in the page, mm-hmm. it is immediately, it is instantly ready when the page loads. So anything that is in the viewport by default yeah. already has its CSS available. And so all the rest of the CSS can download and do what it needs to. I don't hate this. I Like, I... um. I don't hate the idea. I I find yeah. it to be technically challenging, and for a lot sure. of folks, knowing That's what CSS fair. that is, if it's not yeah. like if if you're using a WordPress theme, you can't do this. Yeah, um, it's oh just not yeah possible. yeah that's totally different. You it has to be a site that you have written pretty much from scratch, and you know exactly the CSS that is applying above the fold. There there was a time, probably a little over ten years ago, I think, maybe closer to fifteen, when. I would be really concerned with what the source looked like, you know, having like really clean looking readable source. I always hated going to sites that had just like no carriage returns and just their source looked like shit. And all the classes and ID names were like weird alphanumeric strings. I've kind of like changed my mind on that a bit. (laughs) I think it just, it matters a lot less now because it's there, there's just so many extra attributes now. It's not as clean as it used to be, anyways. If you're doing it correctly, so eh. yeah, I, I, yeah. Just go ahead and throw the shit. But you know what? Like we were talking about this before the show. Put it in the footer, so you don't have the fook. Well, it, it doesn't matter fuck. if it's in the footer or the header. I I just said put it in the footer, just so it's not in the way of looking at the rest of the code. Yeah, because either way, the the, the whole thing is yeah. You you don't get a flash of unsaled content because the CSS is. As ready as soon as the DOM is ready. Right, right. So it's already loaded into memory. Um, so that's yeah. that's render blocking. Render blocking is one of the single biggest ways, A, to slow down your site, but also mm. to make it feel faster if you can, you know, manage all of those elements. And if you use a tool like, you know, Google's uh, Page Speed Checker or Lighthouse, a lot of times yeah. those will show you the render blocking elements so you can go in and, and tackle them if you need a tool to help you with that. Yeah. The other big thing is utilizing caching properly. Yes. This I am familiar with. <laughs> yeah, and a big part of this, to go back to the start of the show, is the server-side component of caching, not necessarily the client side, because a lot of stuff can happen on the server that makes your site slow, even if the page itself is very small. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yesterday I did some, I did a stream with the Ruby for Good Twitch. Uh, we've been doing some like live stream coding. And we were trying to debug a, it was, it was a really basic page. It had three tables on it. It had some records, probably a few hundred records are being loaded into data tables. 
but it took three seconds to load three and a half actually and that was like way too long and we were watching the server dump and it was because there was all these like they had a lot of inefficient querying um and that's what we were working on fixing that night but um one of the issues was that they were doing they were doing database lookups when the page is being rendered and if you i remember doing php and you, you just have like the flat file and you know you kind of do like you just sort of reference whatever wherever on the page because it's php so whatever you know it it pre-processes the whole page before it dumps it to the server and i guess that was probably happening happening here too it's not like it was rendering part of the page and then going back to the database but um you should definitely pre-calculate and pre-compute all of your data first and then send it out and then save it for the next time yes yes cache it and so that's yeah. the cache component right like you you save this stuff when after you've computed it and it, people may be familiar with names like if you use php a lot memcache or opcache mm -hmm. um this idea that you're caching things on the server side so that you don't have to make those database queries for everybody every time reduce mm -hmm. the number of interactions you have to do because and it may not just be databases sites may be querying you know third-party apis they may mm -hmm. be reaching out to a database but then also maybe Elasticsearch or solar for information there's all of these different interactions that can be happening that slow down the delivery of the site outside of the user's control. Mm -hmm. WordPress is, has got some good stuff for this. Um, a, if you use like one of the uh, caching plugins, W3 Total Cache or, or Super Cache or whatever, um, you know they've got tools for database caching that will use memcache, opcache, or, or even uh, file caching so that yeah. when it gets stuff from WP Query, it saves it as a file or it saves it in the memory so that the next page loads, it doesn't have to go to the database for it. It's just ready in there. Looking that up out of memory is significantly faster than making a call to a database that may not even be on the same server in some cases. Um, that speeds things up. WordPress also has transients. If you haven't used them, I'm about to turn your life on its head if you're a WordPress developer. Um, there's an article at CSS Tricks that goes into how to use it. It's incredibly simple. Think of it like cookies or local storage, but on okay. the server side and not for the okay. user. So the whole idea is, especially if you're using third-party APIs for something, let's say I've got yeah. an API that goes to my Flickr feed to grab my images and returns the list of my latest photos for a gallery. Okay. In WordPress, I write a function that says get transient and get transient Flickr gallery. And it says, oh, Flickr gallery isn't set yet. And it says, okay, so what do I do if it's not set? I do a WP uh, remote open with this URL and I save the result of that and I give it a timestamp. So I save it for a year. I save it for a day, whatever. Sure. Then when everybody else comes to that site and get transient runs, that API blob is already stored. So it lets you cache API responses, it lets you cache anything, database responses, whatever you want. Um, it's just oh. a, it's like a, it is a key value local store uh, on the server with an expiration. And so it That's lets cool. you reduce that load time then because it's much quicker to look it up from a transient than it is to wait on the round trip of a lot of API calls. Nice. So that's one of those areas that perceived performance takes a huge uh, leap forward because now this is one of those areas where all of these HTTP requests and stuff that get made, some of those mm -hmm. are from the client, but the stuff your server does also adds to that and the user can't even see that happening. 
Yeah, we um in the Rails world we have like well we use memcache, but um also the like memoizing, which is really just you assigning a method to a like one of your models that um maybe runs a query, but then you only require it run the query once. So within a single request lifecycle, it only executes the query a single time, it stores it in memory otherwise. The other place you can go to is browsers. Mm -hmm. There is browser cache if you are familiar with or comfortable with editing headers. If you're in WordPress or, or many other CMSs, there may be plugins for this. WordPress definitely has plugins for it. Um, you can set uh, expires headers, which tells the browser, hey, if a user has been here before, use the page from yesterday um, or okay. however long. It does. It is only useful for returning visitors for what it's worth. Um, but you can control it. You can have it set for CSS files, images, pages, whatever you want. Um, and there's a little tutorial from GT Metrics I'll link that gets in like the easy way that you can do it is using just an HT access file. Go into your HT access file, write some rules for it, and set what you want those expires headers to be. And boom, you've got browser cache. So you're helping the client side move a little quicker in those cases. If it, Good for sites where you have like a lot of returning users um, for different things. The last big one is a CDN. Get a CDN. Uh, that solves or helps the location problem. So if, you know, your users are overseas, hopefully they request your site from a server much closer to them than <laughs> the one that you have. Um, so you reduce the, the distance it travels. Uh, many CDNs have caching built in, but a lot of them will also, I think like Cloudflare, doesn't Cloudflare do minification as well? Uh, I think they do. I think it's an they... option you can turn on. Are we still using Cloudflare after that thing that happened recently? I I, I don't, but <laughs> people do. <laughs> some there there are uh, CDNs that give you some other options as like a caching proxy to crunch down your file. So they'll strip all your white space out. They'll strip everything out and, and combine stuff without impacting performance or or uh, the look and feel of the page or anything like that. But that helps just getting speed because a lot of times the CDN also has a much faster network than you do. Uh, oh yeah. Your server yeah. does. So their distribution network is optimized to deliver stuff very quickly. So if you, if someone, if you have 10 different things, 10 different assets on your page, let's just say like in the HTML, the CSS, a JavaScript file, and then we'll say seven images. That seems really light, but whatever. Um, and if someone's requesting that from you, that's like every single initial page load is going to be 10 requests if they haven't cached anything from a previous load. So if you have a CDN, it's going to take the a lot of the load off of your your server because you're yeah. going to be distributing that across a couple different endpoints. The last uh, little advice I'll give, and this is a throwaway piece, but it's uh, something I... This is, this is your thing. This is my Ta thing. Yeah. Anybody who uses Tag Manager, um, if you're using Tag Manager very lightly, then you're probably fine and everything works great. I've got some containers on some big sites that have tons of tags. And when I say tons, I'm embarrassed by how many. So I'm not going <laughs> to give you a number. We were noticing some pages, though, that were having some really bad performance hits. And it took us a hot second to figure out that it was JavaScript and it was scripts that were loading from Tag Manager. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I noticed was that the problem is things were set to run on page view. That means it was basically loading as quickly as the uh, site itself was as soon as it got to DOM content loaded. Mm -hmm. This caused a lot of our tags to fire 
as blocking scripts. Back to this idea of, of JS uh, causing things to block. The page hit these scripts. Tag Manager was going, hey, hold on. I've got stuff <laughs> to do. And the browser goes, oh, everybody stop everything. We got <laughs> we to gotta get these scripts taken care of. Change your triggers from being page view to being window loaded. That huh. way, they won't block your DOM from loading and, and your first contentful paint. Your page will load. The user can start doing stuff. And then all of those other scripts will fire off in the background. This goes back to perceived performance. It lets your page, your page is usable by the user, even though not everything has completed. It will likely complete well ahead of whatever the user is doing, but it doesn't impact their ability to see how quickly they can get to stuff. So that's just a little quick piece of advice on a very specific use case. But um, as more and more folks are using Tag Manager, I do highly recommend using Window Loaded instead of Page View for cool. Page View style triggers. Nice. Sit back, relax. We're going to get you out of here after these quick messages from our sponsor. The Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by our friends at NewCloud. NewCloud is an industry-leading interactive map provider who has been building location-based solutions for organizations for a decade. Are you trying to find a simple solution to provide your users with an interactive map of your school, city, or business? Well, NewCloud's interactive map platform gives you the power to make and edit a custom interactive map in just minutes. They have a team of professional cartographers who specialize in map illustrations of many different styles and are ready to design an artistic rendering to fit your exact needs. One map serves all of your users' devices with responsive maps that are designed to scale and blend in seamlessly with your existing website. To request a demonstration or to view their portfolio, visit them online at newcloud.com slash drunkenux. That's nucloud.com slash drunkenux. Hope you found this useful. I know we ran through a lot of stuff and we didn't go deep into any of it, but we wanted to put all these different ideas in your head. If you haven't played with some of them, go pick a couple and look them up and figure out how to use them. Go figure out how WordPress transient works or go learn how to start deferring and, and asynchronously <laughs> loading your JavaScript, whatever you're comfortable with. But um, let us know how you do. Take a snapshot beforehand. Go uh, If you're ever wondering how we get some of these numbers, if you go into the inspector in uh, in Chrome or mm -hmm. Firefox, there's a network tab. F12, right? Uh, I, F12 in Firefox, I don't know if it is in uh, Chrome, to be honest with you, because I haven't used Chrome in a while. Yeah. Just go to the network tab, and you can see how big everything is, how quick it loads, um, and get those information. So take a snapshot, see how you did beforehand, change stuff, improve stuff, and then take a snapshot afterwards, and see how quick you can get your site. I'd be curious to see that. I, I always love seeing that those improvements. Yeah. Uh, if you have enjoyed this episode, be sure to follow us on Twitter or Facebook at slash drunken UX or on Instagram at slash drunken UX podcast. Uh, you can find us on discord at drunkenux.com slash discord. Come chat with us and we will, we'd love to air and we will help you with your page speed. Come ask, ask a question and we'll chocolate chip filled internets. Yeah. We will, we'll send you some chocolate chip. What, what are you going on? <laughs> really hungry for cookies. You know, it's it's really telling that we get to the end of these episodes and and you start talking about chocolate chocolate chip 
internet. I was talking about the beginning, Robert. I know you were, and I'm concerned <laughs> about the advice that you give because you're leaving people with those kind of thoughts instead of telling them that they should be keeping their personas oh. close and their users closer. Bye-bye. <laughs> Sneaky bastard. Ha, 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 ha.